Matt. And this is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matt. How are you? Yeah. 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 It's been a week. Yeah. Been a week. For those at home, uh, we are, you know, we don't know. We are still in that nebulous, uncertain state Friday after the election. So hopefully by the time you're hearing this, um, you know, common decency and empathy will have prevailed by the slimmest of margins, but still. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope that we know by then, because this episode will be going up uh, in, December. in December. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Beginning of December. So if we don't know by then, then um, something else is going on. And yeah. So if we sound uh, particularly anxious this episode or uh angry i don't know <laughs> uh <laughs> you'll that's why yes yes Let, let's talk about the, something else that's going to distract us from this uh gaping wound of in our country and uh, so i i wanted to ask you because I, i've mentioned this on the show before but you know i don't play a ton of video games mm-hmm. and i know you play more than me but every time i kind of log on to the switch store it's just so overwhelming. There's so, so many games. And there are two brand new systems that are coming out, I believe, right now. Um, the new PlayStation, the new Xbox. Um, so I wanted to know, like, how do you, how do you choose v- which games you're going to play? Is it a mixture of reviews and things you read? Or, or, or is it a, a combination of, oh, I know I'll like this type of game? Or um, a little column A, a little column B? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of both. When it comes to the bigger, like, AAA tentpole type games, uh, a lot of times you're defaulting to brand or franchise loyalty. Um, you know, when it comes to Nintendo, I know that a new Mario or Zelda uh, is something I'm going to be excited about. Um, Animal Crossing, I'm sure, is good, but I don't know that that's necessarily my type of game. Um, you know... Uh, Nothing about the Assassin's Creed games have ever sort of like stuck out to me. But um, so for that, it's kind of like a maybe that's not my cup of tea. But um, and then a lot of it is play style, too, especially when it comes to indie games. Um, Often with indie games, it's a lower uh, lower risk for something. You know, they they tend to be less expensive. so word of mouth is good. Um, you know, if something has like a cool graphic style, sometimes that might even be enough, which, you know, uh, the adage, don't judge a book by its cover, um, doesn't always apply to video games. There are a, a lot of games that um, I've been attracted to uh, explicitly because of the superficial stuff. Uh, like this game, uh, Sundered, that came out a couple years ago is sort of a... Um, uh, kind of a Metroidvania, but it had a really slick art style. Um, the world looked really cool. Um, that was enough for me to buy in. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it depends. Right now, especially um, with two seven months old, seven month old, um, you know, my time is also a lot more limited than it used to be. Um, I used to be more inclined to drop $60 on it, like the new big game of the season, Sight Unseen. Um, and, you know, I knew I would have the time to 
really sink into it. But now, I mean, uh, I got to be a little more choosy. And if, if, if it's going to be something I'm going to purchase, it's going to be something that uh, I'm really going to know that even with my limited time, I'm going to want to give to it. So what's interesting is usually when it comes to choosing movies to watch or books or comics or music, I don't play it safe. I've always been kind of like, you know, what's the new thing? What's something that's maybe a little riskier? And granted, there's always going to be those times where you're like, no, I'm going to fall back on this thing that I, I'm familiar with or I love. And even with music, like sometimes, and we've talked about this before, how like I kind of constantly pushing forward where I'm listening to things that are maybe a little more alienating in some ways. And that's just where my headspace is. But I feel like video games is the one medium where I choose the opposite, where it's like comfort food in some way, where I am playing a lot of Metroidvania type games that, you know, there's nothing new in a game like Ori and the Will of the Wisps or um, Hollow Knight. There's nothing new there whatsoever. It's just uh, well-executed versions of games that I've played in the past. Um, So I, I always thought that was kind of interesting how like for video games, it's kind of the opposite. And like, I don't, Again, I don't play them as much as, as, you know, like someone that's really into games. You know, I play maybe like a handful of games a year and I kind of play them sporadically throughout. If I'm if I'm playing a game like um, like Ori and the Will of the Wisps, I'm probably playing once or twice a week. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, unlike a movie or an album where. First of all, the time commitment is, you know, 35 minutes to two and a half hours, depending on what we're talking about. Um the cost of entry is, you know, what, twelve to twenty-two dollars. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's it's an easier kind of like what I was saying with like with indie games, um, which you know aren't going to be like these sixty-plus uh, hour open world epics that you know just soak up so much time, uh, or are sixty dollars. You know. Um, a movie or a new album is easier to just kind of like, well, this is, I'm, I'm comfortable kind of throwing this money, uh, you know, up in the air to see what happens. Um, sure. I think, uh, you know, like I, uh, I think if I had paid full price for something like final fantasy 15, I would have been very upset. <laughs> Granted, I got like 60 <laughs> hours out of it, but I never finished it and I didn't really like it on the flip side. I, I think that same year, uh, it must have been like the Black Friday sale or something that was on the PlayStation Store. I also got the new Madden game that year just because I was like, I know people love this. And I've not played one of these games since it was probably on Sega Genesis or maybe the first PlayStation. Um, and I've learned quickly that it, it was not for me and like I had not been wrong in sort of ignoring it. Um, but I think had it not been you know, on sale for like $15, $20, I would not have made the risk and paid $60 for Madden 19. Do you think that could change when things become even more subscription based where you're playing, paying X amount a month, like you do for Netflix or um, Hulu or whatnot, and you have access to X amount of games? Or do you think there's still that barrier where certain games like the new Miles Morales Spider-Man game that's coming out that that could never be, um, released in that sort of format where you like sign in like, oh, this is new now. I can play this. Microsoft is doing that for their Games Pass. Um, it's got a whole, a big library from 
previous generations of Xboxes, but then all, I believe all first party Microsoft games. So like when the new Halo comes out, if you have Game Pass, you're going to get to play it. Um, and I think, yeah, certainly something like that would make me more inclined to be a little more, um, uh, I'm sorry, be a little, uh, less discerning with what I was playing. Um, I have a friend who, uh, is a big PC gamer and I mean, his list of the list of games in his steam library is absurd, but a lot of games on steam, especially, um, will be on sale for so cheap that like, he'll just gobble stuff up, play it for maybe an hour, be like, Oh, I get this. And then (laughs) never touch it again. Um, yeah, I think when there is that, uh, when, when cost is not necessarily a deterrent, I I think I would be more inclined to try a little more. I mean, again, that assumes that I have the time to dip my toe into, uh, more games than I do at the moment. Yeah, there's a trade-off there too because uh, when I was younger and I, I, you know, I was living paycheck to paycheck, I'd get paid every Friday, and the first thing I do is I'd go to Newberry Comics and I buy some records. Uh, but because my money was limited, those records I would live with them longer. You know, like they would just live in my car. Uh, now. Uh, as we've discussed every Friday, there's new releases and you could listen to every single one if you really want to. Uh, and subsequently I, you know, albums don't have the shelf life that they used to because there's just too much of it. So you do have that trade off of when you're making the choice of the video game, uh, versus having access to all video games, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I bring all this up because, um, today we're talking about Kentucky route zero which is an indie game, um, and it's won multiple uh, Game of the Year awards, and it's a strange game. Uh, it's really weird, and there is a debate online about, is this a video game? I'm curious, um, before we get into why we chose it, is this the type of game that you would pick to play? Uh, short answer, I thought so. <laughs> um you know um this is something that i had ignore is not the right word so it was released episodically beginning 2013 and only uh the final act of it was released at the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020 so knowing that it was incomplete um i kind of put it in the back of my mind but knowing that it was um you know referred to as sort of a modern point-and-click adventure game, I definitely was like, okay, when this thing is done and the whole package is complete, um, I definitely want to check this out because, um, I mean, we've covered point-and-click adventure games on the show. Uh, It's a a genre I really uh, enjoyed growing up, um, and, and I've played a number of sort of modern iterations of that type of game, whether they are more traditional throwbacks or, uh, like this more reinventions and, um, uh, subversions of the genre. So, yeah. Uh, um, but knowing that it was also very weird and there was this kind of mystery and ambiguity and, uh, surrealism to it. I, I, I did not read anything about it besides knowing, you know, it's sort of roots in point and click games. What about you? Is this something you normally would have played, do you think, or been interested in? 
I think from the art style alone, yeah. Uh, when I saw screenshots from it, I was instantly kind of intrigued because I think it's just, you know, I mean, if you've never heard of this game and you're listening to this, just look it up. It's just, it's a beautiful game and it's very minimal. And um, the design is just really thought through for for every frame of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm not... You know, I've played point-and-click games, uh, and we discussed this on our episode of Sam and Max. Um, I used to play a bunch when I was younger. I don't have really the fondness for them that you do, and that could mostly be due to memory. Um, but uh, And I had a, a complex experience with Sam and Max. As uh, if, if you're interested, you can go back and listen to that episode. Um, but I saw so many glowing things um, said about this game that were you know definitely intriguing and things that were kind of lumping them in the category of something like twin peaks um and 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 i think from the offset it seemed accessible enough that uh it was definitely on my radar for for a few years now and i think we had actually mentioned it a while ago we had mentioned like oh maybe we should cover this at some point yeah and i think we decided to cover it now because we were looking for some video game to do because there are two new systems coming out and we thought like, hey, we're not buying the new system, so what should we talk about? And because this game had won a bunch of Game of the Decade awards in a few spots, yeah, um, it felt like we, we should cross this off the list. Yeah, some pretty glowing headlines too when it was done, you know, um, Kentucky Route Zero Act 5 was worth the wait, um, you know, yeah, as you said, people calling it like one of the games of the decade. Um, so I think the timing was right too, not just because the new systems are coming out, um, but also because this was, you know, this beloved, um, well-regarded episodic game was finally done. So we could sort of look at it as a whole, um, and yeah, dig into it. I don't know how you felt about it, but I am going to guess that you really liked it. I think my con- my relationship to it is complicated. Okay. I think I can understand why people would say this is one of the best games of the decade because it's so singular um, as far as a video game experience goes. Um, and it's so, so stunning on, on a number of levels, uh, especially visually. Um, but I could also understand why someone would say like, this isn't a video game. Um, I thought it was at times frustrating because there were definitely moments where I was just like, just get on with it. Um, And that could also be partly because I played it uh, probably, I don't want to say the wrong way because there's no wrong way to play any game. But I did sit down and once I finished the first chapter in one sitting, I kind of had committed to that. Each sitting is going to be a chapter. So I think at certain points, I would... I would be partway through a chapter, uh, especially like three and four, where I was just like, oh man, this is going on longer than I anticipated. I should have stopped a while ago, but I had committed to this idea of completing the chapter. And so at that point, I was just like, uh, I was just like, again, like, okay, I I know what you're doing. I get it. Can I get to the next part? I think if I had if I decide to play it again, that I could probably break it down into even, you know, smaller components. Because it is five acts, but each act is 
broken into chapters. And I think it's a game that would reward you if you played it maybe chapter by chapter. Because I think the language is interesting. And I do think that thematically, it's pretty obvious what they're doing. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that they has to say is is worthwhile. And I also think that they're, between like these moments of just being like uh, a little frustrated, there are some really beautiful, almost transcendent moments that I didn't anticipate. I know based off of your... Uh, someone on Twitter had posted like a, you know, uh, what do they call them? Like a call to kind of like, you know, someone had said like, post your most controversial opinion to distract from the election or whatnot. And you posted that Kentucky Route Zero is pretentious and boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that kind of let the cat out of the bag for this episode. Um, so, 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 so why don't you get into it? Yeah, I, um, I really did not enjoy this. I think for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, um, first off, I played it in a similar way, um, kind of doing each act in a sitting. And you said there's no wrong way to really play a game. I think people who really love this game would argue that there is a wrong way. And I think that's off putting. <laughs> So, so what do you mean by that? Can you? I, th can I you think elaborate? I think someone. I think if if I you know told someone how I played it, they'd be like, "Oh, well, you didn't play it the right way. You should really let it breathe, sure. and it's an experience." But yeah, that's not necessarily fair to the game, though, right? <laughs> right. You know, I think my problem is that there is a lot of, um, as you said, this this game had a lot of big things to say and had these. It did have these really beautiful moments and it does have this really striking design, whether that's the visuals or the sound. Um, but I think I think where the game felt like it was being profound, I just found it being very obtuse. Um, it uh, I found it. Uh, yeah, man, it, it's just it's just sort of like hit this nerve of like um, it's it just it just really for me smacked of this like um hipster pontificating <laughs> where like it said the thing and it wasn't subtle but then it just kept saying the same thing and i didn't care about any of the characters it was just so humorless and like it doesn't i'm not saying this needed to be like a sam and max hit the road but i needed something and it took itself so seriously I felt I told one friend I felt like I was playing uh Schenectady New York the game uh which um <laughs> is a movie I've tried to like cuz I like Charlie Kaufman and it's just so yeah. unpleasant and off-putting which is a movie it's and, it, and that's a movie that I love right and which is, I know that and I I it's sort of between that and like the kind of twin peaks of it all um and I think it got me thinking about why I've never finished Twin Peaks I always sort of get to the end of that first season and sort of run out of gas and I think for me is I have a my capacity for surrealism is limited and I think you know because I love Blue Velvet I love Eraserhead I love um, uh, Mulholland Drive but that's like those are a couple of hours <laughs> um, and for me so like playing this game and it's you know onwards of like you know 10, 12 hours to sort of play through all the acts and the interludes. Um, 
and then something like Twin Peaks, which is, you know, dozens of episodes. I like, I just can't. It's exhausting, and I, I, my, my interest in that type of storytelling has its limits. I think the big distinction or the big difference between this and something like Twin Peaks is that Twin Peaks is very silly and very playful and very earnest. I I don't think there's a show that has as big of a heart as Twin Peaks does, even when it gets as dark as it gets. And I think that's what I love about it is that it can be and it is all things. Um, And I talked about this on the Ganja and Hessen Eraserhead episode where I feel like there is no pretension with Lynch. I, I think Lynch is Lynch. And I think his work is is him without him trying to be cool. And I do see that sort of artifice of cool in this game where it is sort of every tiny piece is kind of thought through in, in, in labored ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that like, I'll say it now, we're going to spoil this. So if you're interested in the game, like, you know, just know that we're going to talk about spoiler stuff. I will say, I don't think you can spoil this game because it's not about the plot necessarily. Yeah. Um, I think it's more about the mood of the whole thing and, and, and what it has to say, which I found fascinating when I was reading a lot of interview stuff and behind the scenes stuff and reviews of it where they're like the mystery of this game uh what's going to happen in the final chapter and etc 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 and i was just like oh this is the kind of stuff i don't like when they talk about when people talk about twin peaks uh, oh we've solved this we've fi- we figured this out kind of thing or or depicting it as a mystery that needs to be solved or talked about so going forward we're going to spoil it but again, I don't really think it's a game that you can spoil. I think it's just about the experience of playing it. If this is the type of game that would interest you. But in that fifth chapter, it's essentially you control like this spirit almost, I, I, I guess, right? And you move it around this town that's kind of, that's just been flooded and it's all in kind of disarray and a cat chases the spirit. So you're kind of ch- controlling where the cat goes. Are you actually playing as a spirit? I just thought that was like the, the you know, like cats just chase laser pointers around. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I don't know. It's it's whatever you want it to be. The game dips into mad. Well, they've talked about repeatedly in interviews that like this is magical realism. So I kind of envisioned it as this kind of unseeing thing that the the cat kind of <laughs> that the cat is is chasing after, right? And. At first, I was like, oh, wow, this this final map is gorgeous. Like, it's got light breaking through, and we spent the entire game at night, and this finally morning is broken, and we've reached the surface. We've been underground for the past few chapters. It's absolutely stunning, this level, the way it kind of has light breaking through, like these broken, dilapidated buildings. Um, and then... You, as you're kind of navigating the cat, you're talking to all these different groups of people that are hanging out in the town. Some of them are characters that you've been with throughout the whole game. Some are new characters. And you're essentially just eavesdropping. Uh, and after a while, I was just like, I I just want this to end. I This is like, I, I, I can't lie. I was just like, this is not interesting. They're repeating things over and over. And I was really frustrated because... There was a moments where you can choose how the characters respond to to any given conversation. 
And I was trying to navigate it where the characters that we've spent the most time with, anytime I could choose between we should leave this town and we should stay this town, stay here and start a new community, I, I kept choosing, let's stay, let's stay. No matter how many times I chose that, they were still like, all right, we're leaving. And that was really frustrating to me because it felt like, oh, are you like, like, I, I know the game isn't really interested in having you make the choice, but when it comes to a moment like that, it felt kind of counterintuitive to me. And that was really frustrating. Yeah, I think that's a big hang up with a lot of games from from the like mid 2000s to the mid 2010s was um, the illusion of choice. Uh, a big a big one was this trilogy of sci-fi RPGs called Mass Effect. And you get to create your character. Um, you get to make certain choices. You know, a lot of it based on like good, bad, a pretty binary, um, uh, a binary sort of approach to the type of character you're going to be. But the big promise of this game was that um, as the sequels came out, your save would carry over in that, you know, the decisions you made uh, would affect certain avenues of, of choice in the new one. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the big controversy was that at the end, they basically like, so throughout this series, you have uh, the blue choice is the good one. The red choice is the bad one. And I think the, the game added just a third color. <laughs> and like, it really wasn't <laughs> like, people are like, all of my choices don't actually matter in the end. But like, that sort of fails to take into account that, you know, from a design perspective, they can only take so many choices into consideration. There's no such thing as a, a true there is no true choice in a video game because the outcomes have to be fixed. But I think what you're saying here is like when you're only given two options and like, just don't give me the choice if you're going to, if that's the way you want it to go, which is frustrating. Cause there's other parts of the game where you're not, you're not choosing a direction to go in. You're choosing essentially a mood. Mm -hmm. You're choosing to say, like, how do I want this conversation to go? Not necessarily where this character is going to go. And I can buy that. That's fine. I think that's sort of interesting because, like, it's a way about, like, developing how would the conversation go with this character that I know if I kind of choose something that's a little more optimistic than it is pessimistic. But at the end, it felt like a real binary of we should leave this town we should stay in this town. Uh, and everything I kept choosing was antithetical to what they kept saying. And, the, and, and I thought that was really, really strange at that point of the game. I will say that I thought the ending was kind of lovely um, and it surprised me. And, um, but again, it, it's, there's all these really great moments and sometimes it, I felt like a bit labored getting to those, to those moments. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the, the, the ending is really beautiful and I, I in it, you know, in that moment, I objectively recognized I should feel something and I didn't. Um, there's another scene in, I believe it's act three when you, when you, uh, when the characters you've been playing as so far hook up with um, Junebug and Johnny, who are these two musicians and they have, um, they have a gig at like a, you know, just a, just a, a shitty bar, but the, the presentation of it and like 
the the ceiling kind of breaks away in tiles and and Junebug is sort of like glowing like this almost angelic figure and again it's this really stunning moment where you objectively realize that you should be having feelings but I had I had no investment in any of the characters and I think a big part of that is kind of like what you were talking about with this the ability to choose a mood you're not just choosing a mood you're kind of it plays kind of like Mad Libs with every character's background. You are you are making the choice, not just for how their conversations are going, but what they're revealing about themselves. And you're kind of shaping their, their, their histories as you go, uh, which for me, just when you're doing that for four or five characters at once, it, it sort of becomes a lot to manage where I could never really remember what I chose for anybody. Um, and yeah, I just like, again, they all just kind of became the same shade of, of sad, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, um, yeah, I think it's the type of game that in order to connect to it, you do have to obsess over it and, and, and know these characters, histories in and out. And like, for me, when people are kind of like, when they talk about a show like Lost and they're like, oh, like Lost didn't answer anything and it wasn't satisfying. Uh, I don't know what show they're watching. I think it, Lost could be extremely frustrating and it definitely had some moments that um, I don't think work very well. But I think as a whole, it, it's, it, it works. And I think because I did obsess over that show. You know, uh, and 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 I thought the characters were all fascinating. I think for this, there was an element of just like, I'm getting through this because we're talking about this, not because I'm actively, I not because I'm playing this because, um, like, I don't want to make it seem like it was homework because it, it's you know that's not the show. We 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 like doing what we're, we're we like we like this. We like the process. So, but it did feel like this time because. I didn't space it out enough, maybe. I don't know that like I didn't put that work in. And I do think that if someone were to play this spread out over years and they're getting those breadcrumbs that they are obsessed, like the type of obsessive personality that can get into a game like this where they know everything about all the main characters that, you know, um, that it, it could probably be more satisfying that that like, you know, for those moments where they're supposed to feel something. Yeah, I think. You know, the, one of the reasons I played through it as quickly as I did is because it's so ephemeral that I knew that if I if I took too long between acts, I was gonna I was gonna lose a lot of it, and that happened yeah, anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that there are parts of this that I think are so fascinating, and again, I think a little bit of humor would have helped. The whole idea that um, you know the like early on, so the game opens on an iconic visual uh, with you uh, as Conway, who you play as play as for most of the game, pulling into um, this gas station with this big, like Art Deco horse head. That's the shape of the building, and like that, that is a striking visual. That's usually the screenshot with every article. Um, and, you know, as you talk to the guy who works there, you get to learn things about, like, the power company sending notices, sort of, like, um, 
you know, if you don't pay your bill, we're going to downgrade you from semi-permanent brownout or like these weird sort of like, again, Charlie Kaufman-esque kind of like playing with these ideas of corporations sort of lording debt over people and like, oh, you should be thankful just to have barely enough electricity. Never mind us shutting you off completely. Um, there's an idea later on that uh, a bartender is sort of trading his, uh, you know, the the, the extensive um, backlog of unpaid bar tabs from his customers. Um, he's handing that debt over to a whiskey distillery in exchange for more booze. So now his customers are, they don't owe him any money. They're on the hook to this big company. But they've got a they've like a drinking problem, so they keep coming back to the bar and like this this sort of vicious cycle of debt uh, and exploitation of people, uh, you know, in moments of weakness. Oh, so much of this is sort of informed by um, the the financial crisis of of two thousand eight. I mean that that lingers over all of it. It's just this sort of um, you know whether it's. Uh, substance abuse, whether it's crippling medical debt, whether it's, uh, you know, businesses clinging to life. It's got all these big, important themes. And I'm saying important themes with like capital letters, because it really wants you to know how important it is. And I don't mean to like, trivialize those things. um, But it just, it never felt smug. But it didn't feel earnest either. It just, it felt very precious. And then you'd get to those moments where Junebug and Johnny are having this transcendental concert at a, a dive bar. And you're like, Oh man, I wish, I wish this gave me more. I wish this gave me more to feel right now, because this is a moment. This is a moment where in a David Lynch movie, like I know this feeling, like it felt like that moment in, um, Mulholland Drive, you know what I mean? When uh, it's when she's mm-hmm. at the the opera house, and then like suddenly, like the whole perspective of the next half of the movie switches. Like I felt, yeah. I felt that moment there, but I didn't give a shit about anybody then, and I didn't give a shit about anybody afterwards. Well, I mean, at that moment in particular, Junebug and Johnny are new characters. They were just introduced, so I can't imagine that you're supposed to feel like this sort of awe because for them because they they literally just showed up they kind of you meet them on a motorcycle they stop to to pick up some of the other character to help the other characters who have a flat tire uh and then in the process they're like would you like to accompany us to this bar because we're gonna be playing a show so it's really they're only in the game for a few minutes but i guess like are you supposed to buy into to conrad and shannon and ezra who are the characters you're with at that point are you supposed to buy into that they found that moment transcendent? And I think therein kind of lies the the problem. What you're saying is that in that moment, like it's supposed to be revelatory for those characters. Yet at that, like you shouldn't be told that. You shouldn't have the characters say like, "Wow, that was breathtaking." Mm-hmm. I did think when I watched it, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is breathtaking on a visual level." And um. I think there is something to be said about what they pull off visually. And oftentimes I would find that kind of superseding any kind of character stuff for me, where I was just so taken in by 
its sound design and the music because the the score is terrific. Uh, and I've I've been listening to it um, because it is it's kind of like um, synth, kind of atmospheric, ambient kind of stuff. Um, sort of Lynchian in some ways, where it's a lot of um, sound design meets kind of new wavy kind of synth stuff. Um, and even the song they play, Junebug and Johnny play, is reminiscent of something that you would hear um, in, in Twin Peaks. Yeah. But again, like those are pretty surfacey things. Can you get through something, a video game, which is ostensibly always surfacey? And say, like, this is the value that I got from it, and therefore I enjoyed it, when it's trying to be something else? I don't know. And I think that's a thing with this game for me. Like, I've thought about it quite a bit since it's finished. But again, like, so much of it, I I was kind of like, you know, I wish it had got on with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird, because I think, you know, we should be clear that this is us being subjective this is not objectively bad i think we no no not at all this is you know i think what we're we're coming from is that this didn't maybe have what we were looking for and at the risk of maybe saying something that's completely uh unfounded you know it felt like it felt like these were this was a surreal story of regular people told by people who didn't know what regular people were like. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just, it felt, um, I didn't think about this game after it was done. Um, none of it kind of stuck with me. I mean, outside of a couple of, you know, the really like sort of marquee visual set pieces, like um, the concert, uh, the, 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 the gig at the bar, um, the, the finale at the horse funeral. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah you know i um i i don't want to i'm trying not to just lay into i didn't like this but i didn't like it i didn't um there is a moment where you're in a cave playing a computer game on an old like oscilloscope computer terminal uh and it's such a like a frustrating meta moment where like you're playing the type of game that this is, but in that world. So it's even like extra surreal and like, you know, kind of like you always do. You're having characters make choices for what happens next. And there's a moment in the game where like, as you're playing the game, Ezra, who's this child who follows you on your adventures is like, is like, see if, you know, he's, I'm trying to remember, but he makes like the obvious little kid choice, like do something exciting. And I was like, I, yeah, can we please do something exciting? <laughs> um, well, one thing we haven't talked about, and but you mentioned, is how, what qualifies as a game. So let's talk about the mechanics of this. Um, you go from place to place, depending on which character you're playing as. Um, sort of gives you slight shifts in perspective, but a lot of it is talking to people you find, uh, looking at things in the places you end up. Um, and that's kind of it. There's no, unlike a traditional point and click adventure game, there are no real puzzles. The closest thing to a puzzle is once you get onto 
the zero, which is this sort of magical, is it or isn't it highway that you're looking for, um, there is an element of to get to certain places, you have to go in a certain order. It becomes like a round map where you have to like, you know, go counterclockwise till you get to the anchor and then turn around and the, and the, the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces will be there, which, uh, is a sentence I hate myself for even saying out loud. Um, but I mean, that's, that's really the extent of like the gameplay. Otherwise it's really just kind of talking and listening, which is fine. You know, uh, this idea of an interactive novel, um, is not new and, um, you know, is popular and well-liked. I I think, you know, given that this is my first real experience with this type of game, I don't know that I'm in any rush to seek out another one. I think certainly there has to be a little more something different for the story to appeal to me, but I do, I do like a game and I enjoy gameplay mechanics and this didn't really have a lot to hang your hat on in that regard. There were sections that really felt like you're just hitting the button to progress what you need to read. Mm-hmm. Like there was, well, there wasn't even any choices. It was just about like just click a button now. Okay, now's the time to click the button. And I mean, that's not even interactive <laughs> necessarily. I, there are definitely moments where you're kind of looking around, um, like the scene in the bar. Uh, which I think is an interlude, right? Yes. Um, like the 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 one where it's from Conrad's perspective, and he's looking around the whole bar, mm-hmm. and there's people having conversations at the bar. And that was like a play, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you're not actually at the bar. It's like you're you're sort of watching a stage play set at a bar. Oh, the interludes, man. <laughs> um and there's one interlude where you're you have to call the bureau i believe right Mm -hmm. and uh so then you you have the phone number you dial the phone number and then it gives you all like the number prompts for where they lead you and and it kind of doesn't feel like it leads anywhere necessarily i mean i think most of the time it's not like there's like you said earlier there's no even beyond the illusion of choice, it's really just about like, I've never played something where I felt like didn't matter what I did, you know? Like mm-hmm. it, it, there, nothing felt like there's any weight to it as choice-wise. Um, and I think so, I guess the argument that, you know, the people that love this game were saying like, well, that's kind of the point. And they've said in interviews, the creators said that like, you're more of a director of a play where you're choosing stand here kind of things, this kind of mood, no, act this way, um, which I suppose is interesting. Um, and again, like I, I thought that this worked in, in, in pieces. Like there are definitely moments where I was just like, oh, I, I, this is cool. I'm, I'm kind of on its wavelength. I think when it went quickly between chapters, I was like, all right, we're moving. This is interesting. Um, because the visuals were always impressive. And yeah. I think that kind of, help me kind of piece things together. I think when it kind of like would linger and then you'd meet a new character and they'd tell you another story, which is, and again, you know, I'm not belittling the ideas here, but you know, it is like, oh, like, yeah, big business put me out of work and now I've been here forever and I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, that's every character in this, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all built on like these people with broken lives and even Conrad 
starts off and he's this Conway guy that's Conway. Sorry, Conway. Uh, when it starts off, he he's making like his last delivery for an antique shop. I mean, if that's not a metaphor, <laughs> like antiques in general. Um, and then you meet up with uh, Shannon, and she is repairs VCRs and an old, um, you know, two televisions, uh, which is already antiquated. So, uh, and it has this fixation of older technology. Like when you start the game, you choose to save it on a notepad, a reel to reel, and like a film reel, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, or a, a, v- a VHS cassette. VCR. Yeah. V- yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole. Um, there's a whole interlude set at a um, a public access TV station that is just literally falling apart. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just I don't know. I, you know, I think it's it 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 boils down to this having not been for me. I think I appreciate the stories. It's sort of. <sighs> frustratingly kind of tiptoeing around. And I say that because I'm talking about the characters. I don't, I think the characters are just sort of like, they just feel like ciphers for like a, a certain sort of um, representation of what was happening or what they're, what they're getting at. And I, I just, I needed more, you know, I think even something like, and granted it's an independent game and it's been made over the course of, seven or eight years uh, some spoken dialogue may have helped you know if if conway had a voice if shannon had a voice if ezra had a voice i think instead of me just like it just bled in it all they all bled together because i was just i i could not find the interest to sort of make them distinct in my own head does that make sense yeah i think so yeah. yeah, I mean, it the the distinction between them was really just primarily visual, right? Because I think like partway through, I was like, okay, yeah, so that one's Shannon. Like when when you're not controlling them and you see them in a big group, mm-hmm. there's definitely parts where I was like, okay, so the one with the 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 fur lined coat, that one's definitely Shannon. Okay, okay, and I'd have to kind of remind myself of that every once in a while. Um, in Conway, partway through the game one of his legs um, essentially disappears and you see like an electric sort of skeleton leg mm-hmm. that he has. Um, so that's obviously distinctive visually. Um, but but, but let's, let's talk about that for a second because that, that was kind of, I mean, the whole thing's weird, but um, you know, there's a part where they meet up with, um, they go, you you had talked about when they were in the mountain, they went to go meet the guy that designed Xanadu, which is, you know, the game within the game that you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene where this scientist kind of asked them to, they go to a church and we see the team splits up and we don't see what happens in the church, but um, they come back and they're like, oh, we don't want to talk about this. And then that happens at the end of the whole act. We find out what happens in the church. When they're in the church, there's kind of like a secret kind of compartment and they go down below ground into this kind of um, 
It's like where they're. What are they making? It was. Um, it's whiskey. To, it's a distillery. They they go into this distillery, but it's all everyone working there is. They're all skeletons, with kind of like sort of electrical sort of outlines for bodies in some ways. Like they kind of glow and hum. Mm-hmm. And so I guess like the the idea throughout it is that Conway is becoming like this autumnus worker. He's losing himself to this. You know, again, like this idea that like these big companies are kind of taking over and these people become kind of faceless. Yeah. And and two, you know, there's also the implication that he has long struggled with alcoholism. And there's that moment where he sort of like signs on the line by taking a drink. And they're like, oh, well, like if you don't take the job, you already you you just we gave you that drink and now like you got to give us something back, man. So it's like playing with this idea of addiction and, and, and what it does to people and uh, the, you know, the, the companies that, especially when it comes to, um, you know, whether it's uh, pharmaceuticals or, or alcohol corporations that are preying on and exploiting uh, addiction. After that scene, after that act, they end up on this, this, boat called the mucky mammoth which has this giant mammoth statue on top of the boat and it's interesting because i i I love the way it would it would use the boat um like you'd be on the outside of the boat at the top and then walk up to a door the door would open up and then the boat itself would become silhouette as you walk in through the door and then it would reveal the insides as if it's like a cutaway which is pretty cool um but let's talk about the moment where Conway leaves the game because it happens in Act Four, um, and I thought it was kind of surprising in some ways the way it happened because you're with uh, Shannon and Conway, and you're uh, delivering a package, and at that moment you are playing as Shannon and you're delivering this package and you look over and then Conway is just leaving on a a small boat with a few of these skeleton guys essentially like okay I, I'm. I've signed my life away. Now is the time to go. And he, as you had said, is sort of the main character until this point at which he just leaves the game completely. What did you make of that moment? Was that just more like, eh, fart noises? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of more of the same. I, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. I didn't care. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm listening to myself say all this. And I'm judging myself and I'm questioning whether or not I gave this game a fair shake and whether or not I'm really getting it. And that feels shitty. You know what I mean? Like I, I, so unrelated to this game in particular, I have always sort of had this hang up with not being smart enough for certain things. I had a friend uh, when I was younger who who made his opinions about movies in particular feel like fact. And when I didn't agree with him, I didn't think, oh, this is an opportunity to have a discussion like you and I do. I'm like, oh, I missed it. I missed the thing. I didn't get the thing. I feel dumb. When this game wasn't making me mad, it was making me feel dumb. And I, (laughs) you know, and so like, there's there's obviously people out there who dig it and there are people who got a lot out of it and there's a lot of stuff to really sink your teeth into if you're on its wavelength 
and it can be an emotional journey. But for me, it just made me feel stupid the whole time I was playing it. But I'm not stupid. I just, I just wasn't on board and I'm not into it. And I think that's okay. I don't think you should feel that way though, because like, I don't think this game, I, I we've talked about it already. It's most of its themes are so on the nose. They're, and that isn't necessarily a problem necessarily. Like it's constantly stating this theme. There's one line at the end of the whole game that I thought summed the game up, but, uh, and I can't remember who says this, but they say the whole world is built on graves. And, you know, that's the theme of the game. It's constant, like these people are failing. The things they do no longer matter. They're being phased out. Um, and it's that's you know it's it's obvious so as weird as the game gets plot wise it, none of that fucking matters because they're constantly telling you what this thing is i understand that feeling and i think part of that is because the way we talk about art so often comes down to we solve this we figured this out and you hear that all the time with christopher nolan movies and i'm just using him as an example because he is so popular but he does make puzzle-esque type movies um, that don't need to be figured out necessarily. But I think a lot of his fan base will always point to, this is definitive proof that this exists. You saw this with the ending of Sopranos, where people like, no, this is definitive proof that Tony Soprano is dead. Um, And I think anytime people really start making those kind of arguments, they're degrading the thing they're talking about because I think they're missing the point of it. I think, and we can talk about the ending of um, Inception, um, I think is a good, you know, a good um, way of talking about this because people were like looking for ways to prove that it meant he's either still in the dream or he's out of the dream. And to me, it doesn't fucking matter because the whole point of the movie is him being able to reconcile his loss and the guilt he feels. And at the end, he does. That's the resolution. So to put so much weight on this thing at the end, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like an exciting button, you know, just like it's, it's, it's a moment designed to play with what you've seen and keep you talking about it, which is fine. And the end of the Sopranos is very similar. And like, sure. I mean, you can think that, it means that he died, but you know, you can also consider this is just his life. This is what happens to a guy like this. And it's always going to happen. And he's always going to be looking over his shoulder. He's always going to be wondering who's going to be coming through that door and he can't get out of it. Either way, it's a fun conversation to have, but like, I don't feel compelled to talk about this outside of the fact that we <laughs> gave ourselves the assignment to talk about it. I don't know that I would have finished this if, if not because we, we, you know, we had to. But I also would have put it down and not been as frustrated. I just would have been, oh, act one's over. I don't think I'm going to be into this. I don't want to do another eight hours of this. I think that's fair. I think I'm just, I think because those people that are so constantly talking about like, this is the definitive answer for this piece of work, whether it's Twin Peaks or Kentucky Route Zero or or Inception, I think that's the problem, not the problem that you're dumb. And I think art isn't made that way. And I, I think... Um, even Charlie Kaufman kind of stuff, you can kind of experience on its own. And I think oftentimes he's just trying to say like, it doesn't matter. These things don't matter necessarily. It's about the experience of it. That's what I love about 
David Lynch in general because I feel like there is no pretense there. It's all it's all just how he sees things. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter what it means. It doesn't matter what a razor head means. It's that texture. Mm-hmm. It's the grit. It's the, it's the sound. Um, and I think that this game could work on that level if it didn't have so much verbose uh, over explaining of the theme necessarily. I think if you, if, if you got cut down to the nitty gritty, I think this could be kind of fun and, and interesting. But I do think, like, like you said, it is like heavy the whole time. And a lot of things that we've talked about that are weirder, um, like Sopranos or Lost or Twin Peaks, have a lot of comedy, a lot of it. Um, and this really is just kind of like one bummer <laughs> of an anecdote after another. Yeah, and not even like the bummer of it all isn't even what gets me. I think it just it just feels so pretentious. We haven't really talked a lot about the interludes, but the interludes are exhausting. Like one is um, just this sort of like postmodern art gallery and eventually all of them sort of have a connection to the following act and the one previous to it. There was the play in the bar. There's this, the, the, the scene in like, a, a you know, one of the final nights of this uh, public access TV station. And I just like, yeah, I don't know. I think it, because it's so removed from the characters you play as for the bulk of the game, it just sort of added more it added additional layers of sort of you know weirdness and ambiance that i didn't need it just it sort of diluted what was already hard for me to keep track of or be particularly invested in i don't know i don't know what else to say about kentucky (laughs) (laughs) did you Uh, like the music yeah sure but like you know i think it works on those levels. Visually, I think it's fascinating. The music is really, really interesting. For me, the whole package doesn't work. And I, I think one other, and I think on top of all that, I think seeing nothing but praise. And I looked for like negative reviews or middling reviews and couldn't find any. And that's another thing that, that's another part of it that made me feel dumb is sort of just this almost universal consensus that this is, you know, the, uh, this is the defining text of the last 10 years of independent video games. And I was just like, what did I, what, oh God, I almost said, what did I miss? Which is a dumb <laughs> plug for our show. But, but I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what, what did they get out of it that I didn't? It's just so singular. Again, like, have you ever played any, I mean, like for the, the purpose of this conversation, this is a video game. Have you ever played a video game or experienced a video game like this? And I think that's what it comes down to is people would just kind of, there's a wow factor to to all the individual pieces in this. It's hard not to just be in awe of, of how they frame characters or move the camera, which is not something you say in relation to video games. Even past point and click video games I've played, um, there's never any interesting frames. There's never anything that you're like, wow, that is spectacular. You can say there's a nice design to it. The characters are well designed. Sam and Max looks fun. There's a great, um, you know, there's a 
interesting quality to how they they the characters are drawn and the line work in a game like that. But you never look at it and say like, wow, where these characters are standing in relation to each other is interesting. I've never felt that in a game before. And I thought that it w- was fascinating, especially like there's a scene where they're, they're leaving the mucky mammoth uh, and they're watching, I believe it's Clara play the theremin and like she's on top of the ship in the background, but she's the one that's in color. And then the foreground, everyone's in shadow and it frames everything so precisely that I was just like, oh shit, like that's really a beautiful, that's a beautiful drawing. Um, especially because there's so much of it is so simple. Like characters don't have faces. It's all just blocks and shapes in simplified shapes. So the whole thing just felt so meticulous in its sense of design that I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like that. And I think that's easy to kind of grasp onto. And you put that with the sound design, which is pretty fantastic. Um, Like the textures of the individual scenes, um, the sounds of the trucks and and the mucky mammoth. And it's all sounds pretty great. Along with that, there's the soundtrack, which is like these thick, ambient kind of textural soundscapes um, by uh, Ben Babbitt, who did all of the music and is also the voice of Junebug, surprisingly. Uh, He like modulated his voice. And there's actually, he put out a record of Junebug's songs. Uh, So they're not on the, some of them are in the game, but not all of them are on the game. Um, And you could kind of listen to that. And it's pretty good. It's, It's like, you know, that 80s kind of synth pop dream pop kind of stuff um and i think so much of that just feels like you know i can understand why again and i said this at the top of the show i can understand why someone would say like this is so magical because it is so different from anything i've experienced but i can also understand people that are just like this is not a video game this is not what i want from video games it's hard to pick up a game like hades which is really popular right now and say that it's anywhere remotely close to something like Kentucky Route Zero. No, and I've been playing Hades, and it is almost the exact opposite <laughs> in terms of a video game. It's it's fast, it's twitchy, um, super action-focused, but it's also got really fun, clever writing that, um, you know, if, you, if you're into it, great. And there's this wonderful story about... Uh, the son of Hades uh, and his quest to escape the underworld, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's also just, it's also a roguelike action game. So if you don't give a shit, you just click through the three or four spoken blurbs that you interact every time that you see every time you interact with a character and you just get back to like cutting monsters in half with a big sword. Yeah. (laughs) There was no, there was no relief from this just sort of, almost endlessly ponderous text. I had mentioned this at the top of the episode where oftentimes with video games, I'm looking for things that are maybe a little more familiar with, things that I'm I'm a little more comfortable with. That's probably why we've always been a Nintendo household because I know it's got games that Meg's going to play. Um, she loves games like Animal Crossing and she'll dip into the Mario games and whatnot. Even with a game like Breath of the Wild, which was considered 
you know, is one of the games of the past decade uh, by a number of uh, websites. Even a game like that, really, there's no surprises there. There's nothing there that you're not like, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm not unfamiliar with it. This is weird territory. Um, so I do think a game like this is is like Kentucky Route Zero is challenging in that regard where if 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 it's not the type of thing that you're used to or that you're looking for, it could be alienating in a lot of ways. I do know like listening to my brother's podcast, they talk about a number of games which just sound so tedious to me and he loves them and, and that's great. I'm glad that they exist for him. Uh, and when we did our episode on esports, like I really couldn't wrap my head around around a game like League of Legends. That could partly be because, uh, you know, I don't have much interest in that. League of um, Legends? I know we've talked about this in the past, but um, I, I know you've listened to this podcast, but um, I've been listening to Newcomers, which is Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byers, and it's really charming. It's really fun. They did a one season on Star Wars, and they watched everything Star Wars related. Neither of them had seen any of it. And now they're currently going through all Lord of the Rings stuff, including the Hobbit movies and the original animated movies. And they constantly talk about how long they are and tedious they are and how many characters they are. And But what I find interesting is in the next breath, they'll talk about the real Housewives TV shows. And those shows are dense. There's so many of them. There's so many spinoffs of them. They all have so many characters. They all have, you know, husbands and, and children. And it made me realize that oftentimes it comes down to they have interest in following that, but they don't necessarily have that interest in the Lord of the Rings from the get-go. And sometimes that's the barrier to entry for something is that kind of like, this is not the type of thing that I'm interested in. Um, so, like, it's fine that they don't like Lord of the Rings, but I think it's interesting when they say that because there's too many characters when they love other things that have too many characters. You know what I'm saying? Right. It is the, the, it is the, it's often the package and what's yeah, presented. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, you can distill, I mean, uh, Game of Thrones is a soap opera with dragons. It, it is a family drama with dragons. It is a political intrigue with dragons. You don't like, you know, Game of Thrones, but you like West Wing. Like there is overlap there. It's just the package that's different. You know, same with Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. Um, I think the Real Housewives things is great. Yeah, those are just these sprawling personality-driven epics. And like, you know, on the one breath, they can be like, who gives a shit who Radagast the Brown is? But they know exactly what, you know, this other Housewives deal is. And it's just the same story told differently. I'm not the same, not yeah, the exactly. same story, but you know. It, no, no, you know I know what you're saying. You're still juggling... Uh, a large volume of of characters still juggling um you know a volumes expansing uh backstory yeah. we talked about this in the last episode on the fifth season where it, it's a dense world and i had talked about how in this context i don't know how how palatable it is for me even though i did enjoy the book Whereas I like a lot of dense worlds. I love Twin Peaks, which is as dense as it comes because it has because it has lots of strange characters and in a weird mythology and a lot of it doesn't make sense. Um, and we and you had mentioned that maybe it's a visual thing and that could be very true. Um, but I do tend towards to gravitate towards novels that are more based 
that that can be dense and weird and abstract, but it's in the prose, not necessarily in the world. Sure. Um, so it, sometimes it's always about figuring out, you know, what your where your interests lie, and and I do think like there is a like I've thought about like maybe I'll play this game again, give it a little time, and really take my time with it, and maybe I'll enjoy it more because the things that I did like, I really really liked. Mm-hmm. The things I didn't like, I really disliked. Yeah. Um, like I said, like that last level. Uh, at that point, I had just beat level four or act four, and did the interlude. Uh, and then started into five and I was like, I'll just play the first act and then I'll save it and then I'll get back to it. Because at that point I had been playing for a couple of hours. But that last act is really only, or that last level is only one act. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't break into scenes like the other ones did. Yeah, so I was like, oh, geez, this is going on forever and I just want to save. I just want to put this down. I think knowing the shape of the game that maybe I could kind of come to it on my own terms and then maybe enjoy it a bit more. Yeah, I don't imagine revisiting this anytime soon. I think if you I think if you play it again and let me know how that goes, <laughs> maybe I'll pick it up, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm not I'm certainly not in any rush. Um, I'm not going to do it anytime soon. Yeah. But like I like I told you I, I I like I had mentioned, I've I've been listening to the soundtrack cuz I think it's it's the type of stuff I like. It's mm-hmm. like mood music a lot of ways and it's great background music for doing work or for driving at night. Gotcha. Um, and I like it. I, I like it quite a bit. Um, uh, I can imagine continuing listening to the soundtrack and be like, oh, I want to place this in the context of the game again. And then maybe at that point, I'll, I'll revisit it. I don't revisit video games. Uh, very rarely have I played a game multiple times. I think maybe Wind Waker I played twice. And maybe a few games from when I was really young where there's enough distance where it felt like a new game. Some of the old Mario games, maybe. Yeah. Um, or something like Tetris, which is, you know, never changes really. It's, it's just, it's a different type of game. Um, but I don't replay games. So that says something maybe that I've thought about replaying games, but I don't know. So, I mean, are there, based off of Kentucky Route Zero, are there any recommendations you would make for either something similar to it, but you think maybe executed a little differently? differently or or better in your eyes or um just something it made you thought of yeah uh so i've got a couple of things and the first is um there's this band called the chromatics which if you like that song that june bug and johnny sing it's kind of along that vein that cinematic synthy pop music for lack of a better term they were um johnny jewel who is like the lead uh producer songwriter for the chromatics um contributed some music to the third season of Twin Peaks. And he also did some music for the Drive soundtrack, which was sort of popular and and kind of brought about this new synth wave kind of resurgence. Um, Their albums are pretty terrific. Um, I I would, you know, they're all really good and all in kind of the similar vein and the kind of, they feel like night driving soundtrack music. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the first thing I'd recommend if if you dug a lot of the music in this. And the other thing I'd like to recommend is a TV show called The Leftovers. I, did you ever watch The Leftovers? I didn't. After Loss had ended, the creator Damon Lindelof, um, he was kind of trying to reconcile with the reaction to at that point in time his life's work, this big sprawling mythology 
mystery-based show. And so The Leftovers is a show really about living with ambiguity. (laughs) He kind of took people's reaction and said, like, I'm just going to let you know up front that we're not going to give you an answer. And so the show really is about grief and not having answers for things, which is similar in a lot of ways to Kentucky Route Zero. And it's similar in the sense where the first season is really um, a, a little too dour, but the second season they course correct and start making it weirder, but also sillier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of has that vibe with like with with the, his the last thing Lindelof did, which is Watchmen, where he does set up like a season long mystery and he answers those questions, but the big mystery he doesn't he they never really resolve and it's about like you know the small percentage of the world's population just one day disappears and then the people have to deal with it it's a beautiful show um and it ends on a on a on a, on a really wonderful note um and there's a lot of weirdness and surprises throughout the whole thing um tonally i think it's pretty different but it kind of reconciles some of those things that i think that you're looking for if you can get past the first season, the first season is is pretty miserableism, you know. It's it's pretty dark and mopey. Um, but the second and third seasons are are fantastic. What about you? Um, so I have two games, two independent games that I'm going to recommend, and I I think I've mentioned each of them before in previous discussions, although to what extent I can't recall. But um, uh, both of these are variations on. Well, one of them is is a more, you can kind of see how it's more of a variation on a point-and-click adventure game. The other one is um, definitely a, a story game, but has a really interesting mechanic. So uh, one of them is called The Red Strings Club, which is a cyberpunk set adventure game where you play as uh, a bartender who also kind of moonlights as like an information broker. Uh, one of the big mechanics is sort of mixing drinks sort of based on people's moods to sort of get them to give you information. And you are, you find yourself sort of get getting roped into this, um, you know, typical cyberpunk stuff, big evil, evil corporation, cybernetic implants, uh, mind control. Um, it's really interesting. The characters are neat. Um, there is a bit of choice and there are some variations for how the story can play out or where it ultimately goes. Uh, it's not too long. Um, but I think it's, it's really stylish and, um, well-written and the world is just something that I've always sort of felt a, a sweet spot for. Uh, the other one is the return of the Oberdin, which is, um, played in the first person and has a very minimalist sort of almost like sort of a, a monochromatic, almost like an Apple II color palette. But you play as an insurance adjuster and this ship in like the 1800s or whatever returns to port, everybody's dead, and you're assigned with figuring out what happened. You're given a manifest and you have a magic compass that allows you to, when you come across a corpse, go back to the moment of that person's death and you have to piece together the identities of dozens of people and in doing so uh revealing the the story of of this cursed ship and you know it's 
it deals with like mutiny and intrigue, but there's some supernatural elements that are really interesting and cool. And it's just the presentation and the care that's put into it is really, um, you know, speaking of, you know, not ever having had an experience like Kentucky Route Zero, I can't think of a game I've ever played quite like Return of the Oberdin. Um, can't recommend it enough. It's really, I mean, it's it's like it's like they took uh, the games Guess Who and Clue and kind of put them on a ghost ship. And it's really, uh, that kind of undersells it or makes it sound maybe gimmicky or whatever. But like, I found it really compelling. And even when the story didn't necessarily like, I wasn't like, oh, I got to find out what happens. I like, I just, I'm like, I'm going to see if I can solve three identities in this sitting and then put it down. Um, the gameplay was a really, really hooky and, and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, can't think of a game I've played like it. Cool. I think you had mentioned that to me before. Do we know what we're talking about next time? I think it, it's holiday related. I think we're still determining what exactly it is, but we'll something to do with the holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe we'll just open presents. We'll just <laughs> we'll just open presents for two hours and mm-hmm. we'll talk about how great those presents are because it's been it's been a year. <laughs> it has been a year. Uh, but we've got some fun stuff coming up um going into the new year and, and uh uh hopefully we'll have uh not hopefully, but we will. We'll have lots of good stuff coming up in twenty twenty one. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Well uh that was fun. That was fun. Even though yeah. the game wasn't <laughs> right on Uh, we'll see you next time thanks for listening to another episode of what did we miss you can follow us on twitter and instagram and facebook at what did we miss and you can send us an email at what did we miss pod at gmail.com and thanks as always to the what cheer writers club in downtown providence rhode island you can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org and you can follow them on twitter and instagram at whatcheerclub club.